Thank you. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, you are a great and awesome God. Your name is above all names. You are worthy of praise, Father. As we open your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes, that we might see and understand how great you are. We thank you for Nehemiah and the example of what a great leader he was because of his great faith and trust in you, Father. Help us to be men and women of faith after his example. Use your word today in our lives. Change us, Father. Don't let us... Don't let us be the same next week that we are today. Help us to love you more. Help us to grow more. Help us to be in your word more. Help us to rely on you more, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Book of Nehemiah. Been there for a while now. You had a couple weeks break. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, weapons versus tools, things that Satan would use as weapons against us to tear us down, to destroy us, and tools that God would use to help us to build our spiritual lives around him. Turn it with me and, and we'll start in chapter 4 just briefly and, and review. If, if you remember earlier in the book, there was the idea that Nehemiah was coming back to build the wall, so the opposition started just voicing their displeasure. It was no big deal until the wall started being built. Then they ramped it up. Then there was then there was threats and ridicule and all sorts of things to discourage the the Jews to keep the work from being done. They laughed in in chapter 4, verse 3, saying even if a fox were to jump on their lame wall, it would knock it over. Verse 4, Nehemiah prays and he says, Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return. And I love this. I love this. You say, wait a minute, we're supposed to love our enemies. One way to love our enemies is to turn them over to the Lord. Let the Lord have them. Our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have demoralized the builders. Give it back on their own heads, God. We'll we'll come back to that. We'll see that again, and then we'll look at a verse in Romans and and, and pull it all together towards the end. But what did we do? So verse 6, so we built the wall. 
In spite of the opposition, they were depending on the Lord. They were going to get it done. In the middle of chapter 4, they, verse 10, they, they start being discouraged inside and they, they kind of take their focus off God and they look at all the rubble around them and say, man, we can never get this done. This job is too big. How can we get this done on our own? Well, we can't. We need God to help us. Verse 14, he says, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and he will fight for your brother, or excuse me, and fight for your daughters, your sons, your wives, and your houses. It happened that when the enemies heard that it was known to us, and they, get this, God had frustrated their plans. They just had to keep doing the work God was telling them to do to build the wall. God would frustrate the enemy. Verse 20 there, it says, Our God will fight for us. Remember, He hasn't lost a fight yet. Who better to fight your battles for you? Then we came into chapter 5 and it talked about the great, the great outcry because the Jews were taking advantage of each other. They were charging interest. They were selling, making them sell their kids into slavery. And then there was, there, there was the great outcry. Nehemiah had the great assembly and said, guys, you're doing wrong. You're breaking the law. And then they repented and they made it right. And then we saw at the end of chapter 5 the great example of Nehemiah. How he, he didn't abuse the people. He didn't lord over them. He didn't take advantage of them. He didn't exact all the, the, the benefits of being the governor that he could have because he knew that it was a burden on the people and he cared for the people. He loved the people. He was concerned about them. He had a heart for them. So he didn't take advantage of everything that he could. Now the enemy has up to this point been focusing quite a bit on the people, trying to discourage them from the work. And it hasn't been effective. So now they're going to change all their guns directly at Nehemiah. They're not, they're not going to shotgun spray the, the, whole, the whole nation. They're, they're going to try to tear down Nehemiah directly. I'm going to read a little section out of Warren Wearsby here. And I, I love the title that he has for chapter 6 in his notes. His title is, We Have Heard the Enemy and He is a Liar. He's calling them out. He's telling them what it is. He's not afraid to say the truth. You don't got to sugarcoat it. They're liars. Their whole, whole purpose and goal is to keep the work of the Lord from being done. Warren Wiersbe says, The average person doesn't realize the tremendous pressures and testing that people experience day after day in places of leadership. Leaders are often blamed for things they didn't do, criticized for things they tried to do. They're misquoted and misunderstood and rarely given the opportunity to set the record straight. If they act quickly, they're reckless. If they bide their time, they're cowardly or unconcerned. Referring to the pressures of leadership, President Harry Truman wrote in Mr. Citizen, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. People in places of spiritual leadership not only have the pressures that all leaders face, 
but they must also battle an infernal enemy who is a master deceiver and a murderer. Satan comes either as a serpent who deceives or a lion who devours. And Christian leaders must be alert and spiritually equipped to oppose him. It behooves God's people to pray earnestly, not only for those in civil authority, but also for those in places of spiritual authority. If Satan can defeat a Christian leader, he can cripple a whole ministry and discredit the cause of Christ. So now they're going to try to tear Nehemiah down. If they can make a mockery of him, if they can make him slip up, or if they can even murder him, then the focus will be off the wall and the work that needs to be done in Jerusalem. If he can do that in our lives, it'll take the focus off the work that needs to be done in Newberry. It will weaken our effectiveness. And I don't know any, any leader, Nehemiah included, that would stand up here and tell you that they're perfect and without flaw. Because we're sinners too. That puts a whole different level of responsibility on our shoulders. Satan would love to ding us, tear us apart, tear us down to discredit the name of Christ. Let's not let that be said of us. Okay, here we go. Nehemiah 6. First four verses. Distraction. A weapon that Satan would use, but a tool that God can use to help build character in Nehemiah. Now it came about when it was reported to Sambalat, Tobiah, to Geshem the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Okay, Christian workers, and, and I've, I've never, this is a new saying I came up this week, okay? If you're still here, God's not done with you yet. I'm sure you've never heard me say that before. God has a plan for your life. He's got something for you to do, and if you're here, get doing it. And when you get to one step done, there's always another step. The wall is done, but the doors and the gates aren't finished. And after the doors and the gates are finished, guess what? These people don't have houses to live in. they got to build their houses. And while they're building their houses, Nehemiah and Ezra, who's still around, are, are trying to build into them spiritual life. So... We are never done, folks. We are never done. There is always something to do for God. So we got to stick with it. Can't rest back and say, oh, got that one done, because there's more to do. Verse 2, Sam Ballot and Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Sepharim in the plain of Ono. Oh, no. But they were planning to harm me, so I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work that I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? 
And they sent messages to me four times in this manner, and I answered them in the same way. Man, I love this guy. I love this guy. You want to talk about standing firm? You know, being confident in knowing that you're standing on the truth? I know I've shared this with you before too, but it's, it's still true. The definition of confidence. How little I react when falsely accused. That's not my definition. I got that from Bill Gothard. I can't take credit. Confidence. How little I react when falsely accused. Nehemiah says, you want me to go 20 miles north of Jerusalem and meet you in this little, quiet, peaceful town under the guise that you want to have a powwow and, and you know talk about how we can work together? Are you nuts? I'm not an idiot. End of verse 2, but they were planning to harm me. The spiritual leader has to be discerning. Has to know and be familiar with the attacks and how Satan will attempt to deceive, to distract us. Well, that, that little town up in, on the plain of Ono, oh, it's a beautiful little city. Quiet resort, water fountains. <laughs> what leader wouldn't want to go take a break? But Nehemiah didn't take his focus off where it needed to be. He said, I'm not going to let you distract me. So he sent, verse 3, sent messengers, I am doing a great work. His work of putting some bricks in the walls of Jerusalem was not the important part of his work. The important part of his work was who he was doing it for and why he was doing it. He was doing it so that the name of God would be glorified. He was not doing it so that his name would be written in the annals of Jewish history forever and ever. I am doing a great work. God's name was at stake in Jerusalem. God's name is at stake here in Newberry. And it depends on you. What do people in Newberry say about God as a result of looking at your life? Right now, right here. It's less about what we do than is it about who we do it for and why we do it for Him and our attitude in doing it for Him. Sam Ballot and Tobiah and Geshem wanted to distract Nehemiah. Okay, you want, you want alliteration in the, the message here? You can write these down, okay? They wanted to distract Nehemiah. Nehemiah was discerning. He knew that they wanted to do him harm. 
And he was dedicated to God's work. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Uh, now, we've known all along that Sam Ballot and Tobiah and Geshem, they weren't the sharpest tools in the shed. It took them four times for this one to sink in. And I know sometimes you got to hit me more than four times with something before it sinks in, so I guess I shouldn't be too harsh and point the finger at them. But four times in this matter I responded, and I answered them in the same way. Because he answered them from a position of truth. When, when the enemy can keep pounding at our door, keep asking the same questions, it doesn't mean we have to change our answer. God is the answer. His work that needs to be done is a great work that he wants us to do. Here and now. We have a responsibility to proclaim the Word of God. I answered them the same way all four times, Nehemiah says. When you're, when you're, when you're standing on truth, you don't need to alter the answer. God's got your back. Move on to verse 5. Verses 5 through 9. The intent to intimidate. Sambal had sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time, but this time with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and and Geshmu says uh, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore you are rebuilding the wall. You are to be their king according to these reports. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah, and now it will be reported to the king, Artaxerxes, according to these reports. So come now, let us counsel together. Nehemiah stayed on his guard. He did not let his guard down. They're attacking him directly. They came to him four times in a row. Now they're coming with an open letter so that the whole community is aware of what's going on. And the evil and the danger with rumors, if you want to spread a good rumors, you have to, you have to tinge it with just a little bit of truth on the side. Just enough to make it sound like it could be true. says that you Jews are planning to rebel. Lie. You could see somebody maybe having that perspective because they're rebuilding the wall. But it was for protection. It was for physical protection. That they would have an opportunity to, to reinstall the law of God because they cared about God's great name. But they weren't going to rebel. 
You are to be their king according to these reports. Lie. Although the Jews were looking for a king, they were looking for the king, the Messiah. Nehemiah was in no position to set himself up. He didn't have that dream. But they were looking for a king. You've appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you that you are going to be the king of Judah. Lie. So come now. Let us chat. Because if you come and chat and we, you know, we, we, won't, we won't pass this along to Artaxerxes. If you just stop working on the wall, we won't pass this garbage on up to King Artaxerxes about you. Very important verse 8. Nehemiah says, I sent a message to him saying, such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. Address the issue. Tell them what the true source of the lies are. And as we look forward, he's going to pray again. But he's calling them out. He's not putting up with the garbage. He's calling it what it is. This is not true. You are making this up in your feeble minds. There is no facts. There is no proof of what you are saying. Because you're making it up in your minds. Didn't back down. Standing firm because he knows he's standing from a position of truth. And in verse 9, For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking... They will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Never thinking that he's doing it in his own power. Knowing that in his own power he can't do it. But that he needs the power of God to accomplish God's great work in Jerusalem. The work that God had sent him to do. Oh God, strengthen my hands. That ought to be our prayer here in Newberry. God, strengthen our hands. Help us to be faithful. Help us to serve from right motives. Accomplish your great work through us here. And that great work is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, he can he denied the allegations told what the source of the fallacies were, and in verse 9 he returned to pray. Oh God, strengthen my hands. Verses 10 through 14, we're, we're going to see some more threats. 
I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mahedabal, and my apologies to their ancestors for slaughtering their names, who was confined at home. He said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you, and they're going to come to kill you tonight. Here's this guy that claims to be a prophet. And what's wrong with what he's telling them to do? (coughs) Is Nehemiah a priest? No. Is he supposed to go into the inner part of the temple? No. And And I've got a list of verses here. I can give you numbers. Leviticus, some more numbers than in Hebrews. Or that was expressly forbidden. If you're not a priest, you don't go in there. And here we have a supposed prophet telling Nehemiah, come, we'll hide together. I'll protect you. Because they're going to come and kill you. How, how do you know? How do you know if somebody's giving you good advice? Well, let me give you a clue. If it directly opposes the Word of God, don't do it. That wasn't too tough. But guess what? In order to know that, you've got to know the Word of God. Because you're not going to know what's true or false if you don't know what the truth is. Folks, we got to get into the Word of God. We need to dive deep. Baby Christians have an excuse for a short time. But I dare say most of us here have known the Lord for quite a while. You've got no excuse for not knowing the Word of God. Nehemiah says to Shemaiah, how how can I enter the temple and live? Man, you're crazy telling me to do that. You're telling me if I don't go in there that these guys, Sam Bell and Tobiah, are going to come and kill me. Well, guess what? I'd rather take my chances with them than with the Holy God. I am not going to disobey God's Word and go into that temple. I'm going to stand firm on God's Word because I know it to be true. Those signs, church signs you see on billboard and church front of churches from time to time. It's no God, no peace, no God, no peace. The first time it's N O, and the second time it's K N O W. If you don't, if there's no God, there will be no peace. But if you know God, you can know peace. Well, something like that. Know God's will. How do I know God's will? Know God's Word. Know His Word. Won't be nearly so tough to, to understand or know what God's will is for your lives. 
Nehemiah knew that it was not God's will that he do something directly in opposition to God's word because he knew what the truth was. And he stood firm. He stood fast. And he's going to pray again. Verse 14, I, <laughs> I admire this man. Remember, oh my God, Tobiah and Sambalat, according to these works of theirs, and also Nodiah the prophetess and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. Back in chapter 4, when we were just doing our brief review at the beginning, verse 4, Hear, O God, how, our, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Turn quickly, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. Yes, Romans chapter 12. A verse I'm sure most of you will recognize. Romans 12, verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Revenge is a sinful attitude. God does not take revenge. Revenge is something we in our sinfulness want to do. Out of hate, out of anger, because somebody didn't do something I like. Somebody offended me. Somebody said something. So I want to get revenge on them. That's the human angle. God says, let me take care of this. I will carry out vengeance on them. Well, what's the difference? Vengeance comes from the position of a holy God who is a righteous judge. I cannot judge righteously because I am a sinner and I want revenge. God, remember that verse in Deuteronomy when we were in Joshua that we always went back to? Let God fight your fights for you. He's got it. Let God take your anger from you so that you don't sin in your anger, and let Him take care of it. See, because in my sin, my revenge, I might want to give you five lashes. But God, being a just God, may only give you one. Because He's not doing it out of anger. He's doing it out of love. He's doing it from a right position. So let Him have it. Download the baggage and let him carry it. It's better for your blood pressure. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of other health things that it's better for you if you let him deal with it. And I I just love the way Nehemiah prays. Over and over, God, take care of this problem. 
Take care of this for me. Get rid of this for me. I'm giving it to you. I'm going to let you deal with it because you can do it so much better than I can. Now, here comes the exciting part. Verse 15 and 16. You ready? Warm up your vocal cords, okay? So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month, Elo, in 52 days. And it came about when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, that they lost their confidence because they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hosanna. He did it. It wasn't us. Matthew 6. You just, just listen. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Not that we are to be glorified because it's not about us. It's about our awesome and great God, the King that sits on the throne. It's done in His name for His glory. When the world recognizes that God's hand is in it, how can we say anything but hallelujah? Because it's all about Him. It's about His work being done. Time after time, Nehemiah says, God, take this and do with, with these evil ones what you would do. Because we need to continue your great work in your great name and set about to complete the great task that you've given us to do right here in Newberry. Oh, I'm almost going to rip this. I love this verse, but I'm almost going to rip this down and put this one up there. The world recognized that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. That's what it's all about, people. That is what it's all about. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Him. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank you for the faithfulness of Nehemiah. His continually turning to you in prayer. His continually wanting to press on in the work to get it done for you. I just love that verse, Father. When the world sees the work that's done, let them glorify your name. As we go to communion, Father, search our hearts. See if there be any wicked way in us. See if there be any wrong motives in our heart, Lord. Cleanse us, 
break our spirits. Humble us before you. That we would confess our sins to you, that we would bow before you. Seek your forgiveness. Exalt your name. Thank you for this time, Father. and Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me if you would.